0: Welcome to the Rx for Biotech podcast, where we perform a deep dive into the biotech ecosystem and prescribe new ways of working for the industry to meet the needs of healthcare providers and patients. The podcast features interviews with the experts and disruptors who share their insights about innovative new treatments. My guest today is Niran Shaw. Niran is the CEO, president, and co founder of Cove Therapeutics. Cove was founded in partnership with Johns Hopkins University to develop non-viral, non-lipid nanoparticle gene therapies for single-gene eye and neuromuscular disorders. Niran, welcome to the show today. Maybe to get started, let's go ahead and, if you wouldn't mind, just give a little background, a little intro into your journey and how how you founded Cove Therapeutics and your journey to get there.
1: Yeah, sure. No, that sounds great, Chris. First off, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be on your podcast today and excited about this discussion as well. So I'm Niren Shah. I'm a PharmD MBA by training and currently CEO and co-founder of Cove Therapeutics. I actually started my career on the academic side. So I spent uh, two years as a clinical assistant professor at the University of Florida and also did a two-year fellowship at the East Coast Institute for Research. Where a lot of my time and focus um, during those two years was really lecturing um, and then also focused on clinical research uh, with a real you know, real presence on cardiology and cardiovascular outcomes. So we did a number of trials um, during those two years. Um, I was a PI or sub-I on um, multiple phase two to phase four trials, and got a chance to really, you know, work on things all across the cardiovascular spectrum. So we took on trials for ACS, heart failure, AFib, and also some diabetes trials with the main endpoints, for example. From there, we also were doing a lot of work with large pharma and small biotech companies because we were taking on their trials. So we ended up doing some advising and consulting work for those companies. And that's where really my interest in the industry generated. So I spent um, a few of those months during those two years working on special projects for these companies, ultimately ended up working with Novartis pretty closely and and took a position with Novartis after my fellowship was done um so I moved over to California for that position and was you know part of the respiratory franchise there supporting the medical affairs team and got a chance to launch two products um during that time from there the layoffs came in and and you know as part of a wider layoff so I think I was just a, a number on an excel spreadsheet and you know I had a chance um, to to really decide between going back to a large pharma company or going to a small biotech company. And, you know, I got a lot of great advice during that time to join a small biotech company, so I did. And I joined a company called NPS Pharma. Um, We were fortunate as a company to get two programs approved, and I supported the launch for both of them. But as soon as we got the second one approved, we quickly got bought out by Shire for $5.2 billion. And then so from there, a number of us went off to a company called PTC Therapeutics, I was in medical affairs for a few years and then decided to switch over to business development um, and I was part of a team on the business development side that was really helping to transform the company from being a small molecule only company to having a real special focus in gene therapy and a presence in gene therapy. So I was in a privileged position there as well. I got a chance to look under the hood on a number of gene therapy companies, um, you know both publicly traded privately held, and then we also looked at assets from an academic center. Um, as well. And so I I got to learn a lot about gene therapy. That's how I got my exposure in gene therapy. And I saw a lot of great work and a lot of great progress in the field. Um, It really started to, you know, um, pique my interest in the field as well. So we did the acquisition of Agilis Biotherapeutics, and that's now um, the home of a portfolio of assets. One of those is now approved. It's the fourth ever gene therapy that's approved in the world. That's True AAV. And um, so I got a chance to work on that program as well, which was really um, just captivating and and really a a special opportunity for me. From there, I moved over to Tasia Gene Therapies as employee number three and part of the executive management team where I led operations. And I was also chief of staff to the CEO as well. And uh, we took that company from seed to IPO um, in just about six months. It was the fastest biotech IPO in history. And um, I got to be, you know, a fly on the wall as well as, you know, participate in in all of the work around the IPO. And and that was a busy time because, you know, as as we were doing the IPO, I, I still had responsibilities to make sure that our 17 assets were still moving along and going forward. So that was my time there. I spent about a year and a half at Asia before I launched Cove. And we launched Cove officially in 2021. And I'm happy to tell you more about, about Cove. But excited to be here, Chris. Thanks.
0: That's great, Niren. That's an impressive background. I'm always interested to hear how how people get to where they are and the journeys they take. But let's pivot now and talk about the founding of Cove. You're the CEO and one of the co-founders there. Tell us a little bit about how you founded Cove. What was the thought behind it and and also your relationship with Johns Hopkins University?
1: Sure, sure. Happy to weigh in on that. So after spending a lot of time in viral gene therapy, um, I think I realized two things. So number one is that I think we can all agree that gene therapy is very transformative. There's a lot of potential in gene therapy, and everything that we do in gene therapy is so progressive. Um, it's changed the way we think about endpoints, for example, and now we look at things like survival endpoints and real hard outcomes compared to what we used to look at in rare orphan indications and, and areas. Um, but while it's transformative, there's also a number of limitations with viral gene therapy as it, as it exists today. So, for example, um, you can't always achieve the right tropism that you want. Manufacturing is challenging. And there's also a number of other limitations that arise from a safety perspective. And all these things combined lead to issues from a regulatory perspective and then also from a commercial standpoint, too. So when we were thinking about Cove, um, you know, I really sought out to start a company that overcomes those limitations because I have a real you know background in commercializing therapeutics. I've always wanted to start a company that has that end goal in mind. So that's what Cove is. Cove is um, really a non-viral gene therapy company. To think about the end goal in mind, think about actual true commercial programs and products. And as we work backwards from there, we can fill in the gaps on development. And I can tell you more about you know kind of the strategy around Cove. But we ultimately ended up finding um, a number of platforms that we were interested in when we were starting Cove. It was always challenging to find the right platform, but also the right platform where the university was willing to license out the entire technology to a company like Cove. So we ultimately found that in Johns Hopkins, and we started the company uh, out of Jordan Green's lab as well as Peter Camposario's lab. These are two of the most well-renowned individuals in the field. And not only from a viral gene therapy perspective and a gene therapy perspective in general, but also from the perspective of the eye, which is where our lead franchise is focused currently. So that's how we ended up starting Cove. And um it a little bit of good luck and a little bit of fortune, but we have a stellar team and I'm just so excited about everything that we're doing right now.
0: Before we move on, maybe could you share what have been some of the big clinical... Or, I mean, scientific, because um, I know you're not in the clinic yet, but what have been some of your scientific or corporate accomplishments or highlights uh, since your founding?
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe I can take a step back and talk a little bit more about the platform and where our differentiators are. So, for us, you know, as I mentioned, there's some challenges that we've seen in viral gene therapy over the years. Um, those things are tropism, the ability to dose and redose and push the dose, for example. Um, the ability to get you know widespread transfection or transduction in, this, in cells of interest without causing safety issues. And then also things like manufacturing. For all those you know, points, COVE has a counterpoint that we think really overcomes those limitations. So, for example, we have um, cell specificity in all of our nanoparticles. We've designed these polymers in such a way where the chemistry now creates this very sensitive and specific approach to a certain cell type. And a lot of our work so far to date has been done in the eye. So um, we've proven out now that our polymers are very specific for photoreceptors and RPE cells. We've seen great transfection there in a number of relevant cell lines, as well as three different animal species now. Um, And then in addition to that, these nanoparticles are biodegradable. So what that means is that once you put them into a system in vivo, within just about 24 hours, they're completely gone. They become bioluminable. And they are excreted through the kidney as a a result. Um, And so what that does is that that creates two things. Number one is that when they biodegrade, that means there's going to be less toxicity. What we know about other nanoparticles is that they tend to accumulate within the cell. And over time, they cause toxicity if you try to redose them. But with a non-viral platform, because the tantalizing viewpoint is that you can redose these over and over again, really, you need to create a platform that is biodegradable or bi- bioreducible. And that's the only way to really enable this long-term chronic dosing strategy where you can go in and dose over and over again. And so t- today, Chris, um, we've been able to show that we can now redose these nanoparticles. We can get to levels of expression that now start to rival viruses. So imagine all the benefits that you would get from a non-viral system. But then anyways, you can get to, you know, Uh, levels of expression that rival viruses anyways. And that's something that's really attractive to us as we think about the long-term chronic treatment of these patients. We've been able to now show also um, that these nanoparticles are cell-specific or tissue-specific for a number of different disease areas. So while we're focused in the eye, we've also shown proof of concept in other tissues. And then we've shown um, real good proof of concept in a number of diseases specifically our focus area is in the eye and we've shown that we can now get broad distribution throughout the entire retina we're getting about 100% transfection of photoreceptors and rpe cells throughout the entire retina something that's not really been done in the eye before in gene therapy and so we're we're really excited and encouraged by the data that we're seeing so far
0: no, Niran, that's fantastic. So there's there's clear advantages to your nanoparticle platform versus those viral gene delivery systems. Um, so you're overcoming a lot of those obstacles that you see with with viral gene delivery. But I mean, my listeners may not be as familiar with with the nanoparticle platform and. Maybe could you speak a little bit about how COVE's nanoparticle platform and technology compares to previous versions of of nanoparticles? And are you seeing greater efficiency with gene delivery with your nanoparticles?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. So we spent a lot of time when we were building out COVE. Um, The co-founding team has a lot of experience in viral gene therapy, and we're fortunate to be able to lean on that experience now together collectively it's um over 3 decades worth of experience that the team has in gene therapy um so from that we've all i think noticed that there's certain issues and limitations and, and even from a non viral perspective it's not like non viral is something new for the field non viral's been around for many many decades now and um as we think about cove and how we differentiate we certainly looked at you know the previous Um, precedent to understand where the limitations were in terms of translation. And what we found was that um, with non-viral systems uh, specifically, is that you do see um, this threshold that you start to reach in terms of getting transfection efficiency, but then also getting compromised with safety. So for example, previous polymeric nanoparticles can get you to a range of about 8-26% to of transfection efficiency and as you start to creep up to those higher levels of transfection efficiency, you're also starting to see toxicity accompanied with that. And so when you reach that, reach, reach that threshold, it becomes a little bit difficult thinking about a commercial product with that end goal in mind. So for us, we now get to really high levels of transfection efficiency, sometimes upwards of 90% transfection efficiency in certain tissue types or certain cell types, Um And then specifically for our franchise, we're getting to the the order of magnitude up to 60% transfection efficiency. So we're really excited about that. And we're also maintaining really low levels of of safety issues or toxicity. Um, So, for example, you know, when these previous polymeric nanoparticles are delivered, a one-to-one weight ratio could cause toxicity. With us, we can go all the way up to 100 weight-to-weight ratio without causing, you know... That toxicity. And so we can now start to push and drive the dose. We can now start to push um, the redosing strategy in that paradigm. And for all those reasons, we feel like we're well positioned um, to really overcome a lot of those challenges that we've seen with non viral systems in the past. And I mentioned this earlier, but biodegradable nanoparticles is truly something that differentiates versus other non viral systems. Um, Once inside the cell, if these nanoparticles start to accumulate, and if you try to redose them, Will eventually cause cytotoxicity with us because we biodegrade. We have now seen data to support that we can dose these over and over again without pushing toxicity.
0: Thanks, Niran. So there's some clear advantages clinically um, for your nanoparticle platform compared to those earlier generation platforms. But we know that one of the challenges in developing and commercializing novel nanoparticle-based therapies is the detailed characterization of the formulation components. How are you approaching validation of your nanoparticle platform to characterize, for example, particle size, distributions, drug loading and release and particle structure?
1: Sure. Yeah, this is such a great question and topic and it's something that's really hot in the field. And so we're, um, you know, we're also fortunate and privileged with Jordan Green having so much experience in the non-viral field. Um, So so with us. You know, when we first started thinking about COVE, uh, we wanted to identify polymers that, you know, that we can redose. That was, you know, a key kind of factor for us. Um, along with that came this biodegradable platform. And, and so that's what we launched COVE with uh, really those two key points. Um, and then we also wanted cell specificity. And so we we sought out to look at all different sorts of types of um, nanoparticle systems, including LMPs, exosomes and a few other systems as well. And um, one of the reasons why we like polymeric nanoparticles is, is that they are easy to manufacture. Um, and because the chemistry actually drives the tropism around these nanoparticles, we now are in a, um, a special position to to um, have a real sis- simple system. So we don't use any targeting moieties. There's no ligands. There's no CPPs or antibodies that drives this tropism. It's, it's simply the polymer itself. And because of that, what goes into our manufacturing system is just the polymer and just the DNA. We get 100% DNA recovery, so there's no real downstream process for us. Um, and because these uh, particles are positively charged, they self-assemble well with negatively charged DNA or other negatively charged cargos to create these complexes. And ultimately, those are the complexes that we end up delivering you know, in our models. And ultimately, that's what we're going to deliver in the human setting as well. So as we think about um, the nanoparticle system, uh, we have a lot of experience with our lead nanoparticle that we've already nominated for the clinic. Um, it's something where we know the polydispersity, we know the particle size, we know how it complexes, we know how it's stored, and we know how it's um, how how it behaves in, inside of the, in vivo system as well. And so for all those reasons, um, we feel very... Um, Positive about what we know about this particle system and how we're going to manufacture it, and as as the field of non-viral continues to become a little bit more um, common, what we're also seeing is that these um, nanoparticle systems are going to act like excipients, and so the cargos end up being what's really the GMP grade materials, and we're already in a position where we're testing GMP grade materials for for that. Um, so as you can imagine, what goes into the system again is the polymer and the DNA. And we've already started with our GMP process around DNA. So we're quite excited. And um, by this time next year, we'll be fully online with GMP.
0: That's great progress. I mean, you mentioned earlier um, that you're looking towards ocular indications when you go into the clinic. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about how is your preclinical data guiding your indication sequencing strategy, you know, I'm sure there's a number of patient populations that uh, you could pursue to test your non-viral gene delivery system when you enter the clinic. So how are you thinking about the indications and sequencing those indications when you enter the clinic?
1: Well, we first started off in the eye for a specific reason. Um, I think we can all agree that the eye is a great place to start a platform. It's a contained tissue. And so for that reason, you, you can deliver small amounts of material. And then you can also limit systemic exposure of of your materials as well. And so that's why we're starting off in the eye. It's a great place to validate a platform. And as we um, look historically on this platform, a lot of the work that's been done has been really focused on the eye. So we've, you know, we've been, Cove has been the beneficiary of, you know, over $10 million worth of funding to Hopkins to drive forward this platform and also the beneficiary of, you know, all the great work that Jordan and Peter have done so far. On this platform. Um, so we're taking that forward now. And um, where we are in the eye today is that we've done you know, all of our proof of concept work. So we know again how these polymers behave in the eye. We know that they're very cell-specific to photoreceptors and RPE cells. And we're seeing great distribution as a consequence of, of our approach. Um, but we're coupling that with a supercoroidal device, and that's where we get this really broad distribution throughout the eye. And um, there's a lot of synergy between that superquarrel device, as well as our nanoparticle platform. Whereas the superquarrel device causes that broad distribution throughout the eye, it's the nanoparticles that go on to transfect both RPE and photoreceptors. Um, so we're uniquely positioned there, and um, you know that's how we look at um, the eye franchise. And, and as it, as far as it goes for indication selection. Um, we've landed on a number of indications where large genes of are of interest. One of the challenges in the viral field is that you can only package, you know, about 4.7 KBs into an AAV. Uh, we don't have any packaging capacity restraints, so we've gone all the way up to 20 KBs, and it's likely that we can go even higher than that. Um, but the question I always ask is why? What's the need to go higher than 20 KBs? Because we can fit the largest gene in the genome. But well, we've picked diseases where um, large genes um, need to be delivered, and and we did that on purpose because, number one, there's a large clinical and medical unmet need, but number two, it's also so that we don't have that competition from a viral perspective. So um, we've been now able to show in our own models that we can deliver these large genes, we can show transfection at photoreceptors and RPE cells, and um, and that's the basis for really our pipeline.
0: Not only is there less competition in the in the viral gene delivery space, but I mean you're you're able to go after more prevalent diseases, more chronic diseases with a higher prevalence, right? Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that that's right, um, and part of that's due to the manufacturing power of of a non viral system, as you know, Chris. Uh, manufacturing's frequently talked about as a bottleneck for viral gene therapy, and with us, you know, we we wanted to really overcome that. So, we've now been able to scale up our manufacturing process, and I'm happy to get more insights as to what we're doing there. But we've, you know, over the summer, we've been able to show that we can now get a thousand fold higher than where we were before the summer started. And, um, and we can scale without losing any transfection efficiency, without causing any toxicity issues. And so, I'm really excited about this because now we can go into diseases, as you, as you mentioned that are prevalent, that are non-orphan prevalent conditions, and we can now manufacture to address all of those patients in those populations. But then also turn around and be able to do this from a orphan standpoint, which is something that COVID is interested in just because there's such a large unmet need for for those populations. And it's much easier for us as a small company to to, drive those types of indications.
0: I know it's still early days for the company nearin, but what, what can you share about your plans for completing those IND enabling studies, your manufacturing, you know, scaling up your manufacturing and so forth? And if you could share whatever you can publicly about what the timeline is for, you know, entering the clinic.
1: Sure. Yeah. Happy to. So, um, for us, you know, with our lead indications in the eye, um, uh, we're going to be entering into GLP talk studies next year. And that's going to be sometime either in the summer or um, you know early q3 time frame for us and and once we're done with the glp talk studies then we're really just going to be focused on optimizing gmp grade materials and making sure that we have everything ready for the clinic we're planning on submitting inds in 2024 for two programs and that's currently where we're at from a development standpoint
0: so we're approaching the end of 2022. I'm wondering, you know, what are what what are the next critical milestones facing the company?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So 2022 is going to be a big, you know, big close for us. And we're focused on right now, optimizing these GMP grade materials. So we're testing them in vivo. Um, we've seen again, good transfection, we've seen good distribution, and now we just need to do it again with our GMP grade materials so that we can you know, have this serve as the basis of our platform going forward in the clinic. Um, that's really going to launch the next set of experiments in our actual, um, you know, disease models. And so, again, we've picked a number of indications where there's good precedent for what you would use to get INDs cleared, but also diseases where there's clinical proof of concept. Um, you know, that that we can leverage and lean on to to be encouraged that we're we're on the right track. Um, so that, those are the set of experiments that we're we're going to start before the end of this year.
0: Well, Niran, I want to thank you for joining us today and for sharing the story of the founding of Cove Therapeutics and and sharing the details of your non viral, non lipid nanoparticle gene delivery system. Certainly very exciting, and we'll be we'll be following your company's progress through the clinic with great interest.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about how Boulder Biotech Launch Specialists can help evolve your clinical development strategy and scientific communications, feel free to contact me directly at chris at bblsconsulting.com.